So welcome once again to another Coffee and Heroes podcast. Once again, it is time for another creator interview. So my guest today is a Cork-born writer who cut his teeth writing for 2000 AD and Judge Dredd magazine. A winner of the prestigious Thought Bubble Talent Search Award, he has turned his talents to creator-driven material with the upcoming release due from Image Comics, Write It in Blood. Due out on the 24th of February, I had the pleasure of reading an advanced copy and it was superb. Anyone who knows me knows I'm a sucker for noir and this belongs on your bookshelf alongside heavyweights such as Brubaker Phillips and Darwin Cook. The story of two hitmen on the eve of retirement who must complete one last job before they sail off into the sunset. But as we all know, those last jobs can be a bitch. A mixture of tragedy and comedy, crime and action, Right and Blood has staked its early claim for one of the original graphic novels of the year. It is my pleasure to welcome writer Rory McConville today and how are you sir? I'm good. How are you? I'm not too bad at all. I mean, uh, we always start off these interviews, you know, asking how was your 2020? It's certainly one of the strangest years in uh, recorded history. So uh, how was your 2020? Um, I mean, probably quite similar to most people's in that it was just a lot of sitting inside, going for long walks, trying to find new and exciting routes in the one or two kilometer radius around my flat listen to a lot of podcasts <laughs> well of course you live in london so i'm sure it's been uh slightly different for you i mean i obviously i'm i'm back in belfast and in, in northern ireland and our politicians have certainly been interesting shall we say but uh london it seems to be the rules are changing on an almost daily basis yeah i'll be honest i i've lost track at this stage it's uh <laughs> what what tier or level we're in it's it's uh I don't know it's just exhausting yeah just keep yourself indoors and you're you're safe that way yeah I mean, during lockdown, well, I suppose I should say during all of the lockdowns, uh, you know, how did you keep yourself sane? You know, did you throw yourself into lots of work? Did you binge a lot of TV or books or movies? Yeah, no, thankfully there was a fair bit of work to be doing and that was a big one. Like I said, there was work, walks and, well, I tried to do a bit of exercise for that. Got into yoga for about a month and then that kind of died out. And yeah, I'm trying to think what I'm trying to run out of TV shows at this stage. Actually, I'm trying to think what I've seen recently that was good. Um, All oh, Halt and Catch Fire, that was great. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen that, but I kind of got through that over the course of lockdown. And Veep, which I'd never seen before, uh, which was also great. Yeah, I should really jump on the Veep, given that I'm a huge Seinfeld fan, but I've just never actually watched Veep. But it's uh, Julie Louis Dreyfus in it, isn't it? Veep? Yeah, yeah. Uh, no it's great i mean did you read any sort of good books during that time any comics any anything stand out i know the industry's been a bit stop start in the last six months to say the least but i myself personally have started rediscovering some of the classics you know reading things like sandman and just bits and pieces that for whatever reason i'd never read before you know anything stand out for you um well slightly masochistically i guess maybe i went back and reread uh why the last man oh which, uh... mammoth taste in these uh, these pandemic times was uh, an interesting one to go through. <laughs> and Immortal Hulk as well. I was catching up on that, which is a top-tier book for sure. With a very good colorist on it, no less. But we'll get Absolutely. to that. We'll yeah, certainly yeah. get to that as we go. <laughs> I mean, have you always always been into comics at all? Were you, were you a reader from a young age? Yeah, I'm trying to... I think I've probably been reading them in some form since I was about, like seven or eight i kind of have this vague memory of going after my first communion getting the train up to dublin with my dad because his side of the family was up in dublin and i got one of the, i don't know if you've ever had them but those old kind of panini 
oh, yeah. reprints with about three or four. Mm-hmm. God, they were great value for money. Are they still out, you know? They do still release them. The thing is, they're great value for money, but they're absolutely terrible when you try to follow continuity and stories because mm. they, they always seem to me to be three random issues just thrown together. But when you were younger, you, you didn't care so much, I suppose. Yeah, I think I remember... I think they were maybe there were a few of them back then, or they were kind of... It was a more streamlined line, but yeah. I think I remember getting into it around the time they were reprinting the Onslaught saga over here, which was uh, an interesting one to start off reading uh, Marvel comics with. Yeah, I mean, was were, when you were growing up, were you a DC or a Marvel guy or an indie guy or, you know, just whatever um, you could get your hands on, I suppose? Yeah, there, there weren't... I'm trying to think when we got a shop in... Because, yeah, ma- mainly I'd get comics via the Panini ones because you could get those in shops. And then every now and then we'd go up to visit relatives in Dublin. And I'd be able to stop into Forbidden Planet and just kind of grab as much as I could. But that was only like once or twice a year. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, it was definitely Marvel up until I'd say I only started reading DC when I was about 15 or 16, maybe. Identity Crisis was the one I started with, which was quite a heavy one to start with, actually. I was going to say, you, you certainly didn't, you know, just dip your toe in the water with it. I think you threw yourself in the deep end a little bit with yeah. DC continuity hitting, hitting any of their crises, I suppose. You know, was there was there a standout title that made you think, you know, I could do this for a living? You know, I, I could certainly, certainly write for comics. I think probably maybe a lot of, uh, not maybe one specific book, but a lot of kind of early Brian K. Vaughan stuff, like Runaways and Why the Last Man and Ex Machina. When I kind of started reading all that stuff it really kind of showed me i suppose what just the level of writing that you could kind of have in this industry so that was one that really kind of or a set of ones that really kind of pushed me in yeah i mean i can definitely jump on board with that because certainly as someone who owns a store you know sometimes you have to to educate new readers because they think comics is all just superheroes punching each other in the face but you know you hand them a, a why the last man or a preacher or a sandman or a or a saga or a walking dead and you can sort of show that there's just a really great variety of stories you can tell in the format you know i mean i suppose the, the question would be then you know tell us your own origin story how did you how did you break into the industry like i mean i've been at it for a long long time and like thankfully the internet was around when i was growing up because there wasn't much of a scene in court like, but you know, you'd be able to go online and find like small press anthologies and contribute like three or four page stories or whatever. So I was kind of doing that through my teens and then probably into my early twenties as well, actually. And then I was able to get over to Leeds in Thought Bubble a couple of years ago. And I'd kind of been practicing basically shorts for quite a long time. And went to the 2080 thought bubble pitch competition, which is uh, basically you get two minutes to pitch a future shock, which for those who don't know, is kind of like a four page sci-fi story with a twist in the tail. Um, so I pitched this one called liposuction, which was about uh, kind of plastic surgeons for your personal history. They were called chrono cosmetic surgeons. Um, and that i I ended up winning that, and that was kind of how I got my start. Have kept going at it since. Can you remember who was at that thought bubble? Because thought bubble always seems to be 
one of those cons in the UK that attracts the best of certainly of indie writers and people who work for Image or Boom or Dynamite, those kind of things. Can you, were there any standout guests that year you can remember? I don't really, because I actually didn't really go to the <laughs> con itself that year because I was kind of, you know, I showed up on Saturday morning and it was just very much in that headspace of like, I'm here for this and this is all I'm like. <laughs> it was it was infuriating actually of uh, because I think they said it was going to be first come, first served. And so I went and queued. And then when we got in there, Mike Mulcher, who's the the main guy uh, for PR and stuff at 2000 AD, kind of, I think, like, Mike, Mike is a lovely guy, just to, to get that out there, though. <laughs> he, he kind of just decided, I think I'll just pick them at random. So the the hour was going along, and I wasn't getting picked, and I was just like, Whatever about not getting the chance to, uh, no, sorry, whatever about not winning, the ch- if I hadn't gotten the chance to actually pitch, that would have been infuriating, but thankfully that panned out. But I can't, I think after that then, I just kind of walked around in the days for the rest of the weekend. <laughs> was it the kind of thing that, you know, you did your pitch, you were really happy with it, and then it was, we'll let you know sort of things. So you were just sort of, as you say, almost in a, in a daze that you got it out of your system and then just... Were able to walk off? Um, well, no, because I think I might have actually been the last one to do it that time. And then it was kind of just went back down because it's in front of a panel of judges and uh, like an audience as well. So I just went back down to the audience, was just nervous for about five minutes. <laughs> I mean, with 2000 AD, I mean, it's it's almost a rites of passage, I think, for British and Irish talent. Uh, 2000 AD, have, have you always been a fan? Probably not. From the very beginning, partially just because, again, accessibility of uh, 2018. But yeah, like once I, I think I came across it when for the first time when I was about like 10 or 12 and got into it since then. I think when you're 10 or 12 and you, you discover 2018 because it's so adult, it almost seems mm. like something you shouldn't be reading, which kind of makes you want to read it even more. A- absolutely. There's definitely there's definitely that appealing quality of like you shouldn't be reading this at this age or whatever <laughs> what was it like working for 2080 it's you know great to be able to work on characters like dread and stuff like it's kind of crazy just how long it's been running really i think is one of the things that blows my mind and how it you know it's never missed mm-hmm. a week as far as i know like and just the kind of the way they've managed to maintain the quality throughout that time is fairly mind-boggling do you get a lot of freedom with your stories there or, there or is there certain things that, you know, certain sort of notes almost you have to hit or anything like that? Or do they just basically say, go nuts, all bets are off? It depends. Like, I mean, stuff, say, like future shots and, you know, where you're kind of inventing a whole new world or whatever. There's a, like, as long as you obey the rules of the form, which is sci-fi twist at the end, then you've kind of, and hasn't really been done before, you kind of get free reign. With Dread, there's kind of probably a bit more restrictions in that you kind of have to work around what other writers are doing with the characters at the time and making sure it's not contradicting what else is going on. But Matt, who's the the current Tharg, is great for kind of, you know, gi- giving you room and then coming in when is needed to shift things around the right way. With Dread, is that anything to do with the fact that the likes of IDW hold the rights to Dread now. I mean, it's. I remember watching. I think it was actually called Future Shock, the the story of 2000 AD documentary, and you know it sort of ended where the 
uh, the head of IDW was saying like, we've got big plans for Dread and we're going to do this and we're going to do this and we're going to do that. And then the original founder of 2080 just sort of went, they don't know shit. You know, <laughs> it's almost like a character they don't understand. So do they get involved in any way with, with the, the sort of Dread narrative, so to speak, in 2080? Um, not as far as I'm aware. I mean, maybe possibly on a above my pay grade, but I, <laughs> I haven't heard of them being involved in any way in that regard. Have you, uh, were there any standout stories from your time in 2008, either done by yourself or indeed any other talents, any stories that, that stand out for yeah. you? <laughs> I, think, I, I think actually being, there was a short I did uh, fairly, fairly early on where I got to write a story that uh, Mick McMahon mm-hmm. drew. Um, and obviously he's such a big name in 2008 in Dread lore and actually that reminds me as well doing a series of cursed earth coburn with carlos Escara was quite special obviously because unfortunately he's no longer yeah. with us um but yeah i mean both of those were quite early on in my time in 2018 so it was quite mad to be partnered with people who were like legends and so experienced and have you still got many stories you'd like to tell through the pages of 2018 or uh, have you sort of felt like you've you've had your your time there and it's time for new challenges or is there is there any any, any itch left to scratch i suppose with 2080 still at this like, point you know it's still very fun to dip in like and actually there's quite a bit of dread that should be coming out this year but it, i don't know what i ever totally close the the door on 2080 mm-hmm. i mean it, they might close the door on me like but <laughs> well that's a totally different question isn't it this is it yeah <laughs> So you now have uh, the jump to Image. You know how does working with Image Comics compare to two thousand AD? Is it the same sort of amount of freedom? I we we've talked to a few different creators who work with Image and the freedom they're allowed, and obviously a lot of Image uh, titles. It's all to do with the back end of if a title does well, you do well, that kind of thing. You know how does working with Image compare to two thousand AD? Yeah, I mean it's it's a very different setup. Like you're kind of in a lot of ways, kind of you have to figure a lot of it out yourself as you go. I mean, they're, they're very helpful at image in terms of answering questions and all that, but it's very much like you have to deliver the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Whereas with, you know, 2000 AD, I send in my script and oftentimes I don't see the finished story until I get, um, you know, comps or a PDF. So it's a lot more, just a lot more ingrained in what you're, you're doing, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Whereas I suppose with Image, they just give you all the freedom in the world because if it's a, if it's a success, it's because of your work. If it's a failure, it's because of your work. Either <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll move on to uh, Write It in Blood and, you know, I'll just sort of specify here, we'll, we'll keep spoilers certainly to a minimum as I would hate to ruin any surprises for readers. Um, with, with it, did you originally pitch Write It in Blood as a single issue standard release with a collected graphic novel at the end or was the plan always to do an original graphic novel? No, it was originally we did pitch it as a four issue series, but it kind of was in flux. We were still waiting to hear back basically around the time that uh, everything fell apart last year around kind of mid March. And so we, we, at that point, we kind of assumed there might not, we, it wasn't going to happen in any way, shape, or form. Um, so we actually ended up for a small while releasing kind of a digital version uh, just to get it out there. But thankfully, in around, I think it might have been June or July, Image got back to us and said they were interested in doing it as a, a graphic novel then. 
that that's one of the things I love about him. He certainly has a retailer as well, and it's interesting. I I was putting you you know next to the likes of Brubaker and Phillips, who of course are doing the likes of Reckless and Pulp, and my heroes have always been junkies. So, you know, I I like that there's there's different ways of releasing comics these days. You don't just have to slavishly you know stick to six issues and then here's a trade. You know. And uh, I think with a book like this, it's certainly very episodic anyway. You've got your chapter breaks, which I suppose would have been issue breaks. Mm. Uh, but, uh, I mean, how long from the genesis of the idea for Write It in Blood to the finished article? How long did that take you? I think we I start, first started talking to Joe about it maybe the middle of, the middle of 2018. Because mm-hmm. the, the thing is, we actually were working on it throughout the time. Because we, we wanted to have most of it ready before we approached Image because we kind of figured, you know, that you can sometimes get trapped in a cycle of just kind of pitching stories and never actually get anything finished and done and out. So this was one, I think when we started it, we kind of just decided we were going to make it no matter what. And we just thought the more we had re- available to show them, the better the chances were. And was it a case of, was it only Image that you pitched it to, or was it pitched elsewhere at all? No, at that stage it was only Image. I mean, if they had ended up saying no, we probably would have approached somewhere else maybe, but thankfully didn't have to in this instance. I suppose, as you say, it's just it's uh, you know one of the benefits of the modern world, I suppose, is you can always get your work out there, or even if you had to do a Kickstarter campaign, for example, which... You know, I've I have a couple of regulars who come to the store who are writers and artists, and it does look like a really draining process doing Kickstarter and a lot of stress. But at least that is there as as a as a tool to be used. You know, I mean, you mentioned there Joe, who of course is is the artist on it, Joe Palmer. Did you guys already have then a pre-established relationship? You said you were you were chatting about it in two thousand eighteen. Had you worked on previous stories before, or? Well, uh, the, the funny thing actually is. I was mention- I was talking about the uh, thought bubble pitch competition I did in twenty, whatever it was. Joe, there, there's an art competition mm-hmm. that also runs, and he actually won that the same year as I did. So he ended up drawing uh, my story in two thousand eighty, and then we ended up, I think, about a year or two later. It was actually we ended up doing another story called A, a Tale from the Black Museum, which is kind of like a a Judge Dredge uh, anthology slot they have in the magazine. We did that, and then it was off the back of that, we started talking to each other a bit more regularly, and then I suggested the the idea of doing it together. And as well as the art as well, I mean, we, we touched upon it a wee tiny bit just before, but the colours I thought were really exceptional in Ride It in Blood as well. I mean, it's, it's hardly surprising given you've got one of the best in the industry, Chris O'Halloran on the book, I mean, he actually first came to my attention, not actually through Immortal Hulk, but through a Matt Kent title, Folklords, which you oh, know, yeah. I really, really enjoyed. How did that working relationship come about? You know, did you know him from before or was he a colorist who was assigned to the book? And and how was working working with Chris? No, yeah, no. I mean, Chris is actually from Cork as well. So we would have known each other from back in the day. But uh, he, I think I just got on to him. I mean, as as you say, he's working on some quite big books at the moment so there was uh, a high probability he would say no but <laughs> he uh no i mean he, his stuff and joe's it's i think one one of the things that's really surprised us is how 
well their two styles work together like it's really a good uh, creative marriage and then often overlooked in comics uh, but i thought the lettering was was great as well i mean i i do apologize in advance if i butcher this name but you know how did hassan otsman el hawa come on the book Hass, i think had been recommended to me by a few people i mean he's you, you, you can't move in comics at the moment without kind of seeing his name on a book like so he uh i think again a few people had suggested him and i just got onto him and he was open to doing it so well as you say i mean you you certainly knew chris from back in cork and i would imagine the the irish creator circle can be relatively small sometimes so maybe it was not so much of a surprise to see declan shelby's on cover duty you know do you guys know each other well at all we, we, we do, unfortunately, at this stage. It's, uh... <laughs> that sounds like there's a hundred stories behind that comment, at least. <laughs> no, just just a lot of simmering resentment. and uh... <laughs> No, De- De- Dex's great, Dex's great. Um, yeah, no, we've... I would have known... I got to know Deck actually, through cons, because there was a while before I... Um, before I started work for 2018, where I kind of push short store, I write short comics and get artists to draw them. And then I put one online a month and then every six months or so, I'd kind of publish them as these mini kind of portfolio things, basically. And whenever I go to a con, I'd print up a few and kind of hand them out to pros or whatever, just to kind of try and get advice on what to do. Um, and so that was kind of how I first got to know Deck. And then from there, we just kind of started chatting every now and then. And kind of, I think as he was getting more into writing, he'd get on to me sometimes to look at some of his stuff. And then I'd send him some of my stuff and we just kind of gradually. And then basically I just asked him, would he do a cover? <laughs> Must be nice to just pull out that, you know, the equivalent of the Rolodex and just be like... Who would I like to do the cover for the book? You know, I'll give it's echoey message. Yeah, I mean, it's probably a Rolodex of just his name. <laughs> it's not a bad one to have, though. I mean, no, no, definitely. I mean, with with Declan, I mean, we as a store, we had actually set up Declan to come and do a, a signing at the store, and we we had it all aligned last year with the release of Bog Bodies, with mm. the release of Punisher versus Barracuda number one, which still hasn't seen the light of day. And it was going to be in free comic book day as well. So this was all going to take place last May. And Declan's such a nice guy. He literally said, look, you know, pay for me for somewhere to stay when I come up and that's it. Don't worry about anything else. But, you know, it all all tragically fell apart, unfortunately. So we had to settle with uh, our, a rather fun podcast chat with him instead. But he's a man of his word. He says he'll uh, he'll make good on it. God knows what year it's going to be. Though. <laughs> yeah, no, no, he, he definitely is a man of his word in fairness, and I'm, I'm sure he'll be up sooner rather than later. Did you get reading bog bodies at all? Oh, yeah, because I, I know uh, Gavin as well. Mm-hmm. Like, and It's a great, weird, little spooky book. Like, it's Again, it's that thing you were saying about formats. Like, It's great that there's such a kind of range of stuff you can do now. And like, you mentioned the Brubaker Phillips stuff. I mean, it's just so cool how you can just like decide, ah, this is the format I need for this story. So this is what I'm going to do. And it's yeah. uh, something I hope continues. And that actually as well, the Kickstarter stuff is great for that because you do have that extra control over it, I suppose. Well, certainly with uh, Right and Blood, I mean, what were your influences for it, you know, in terms of any media? You know, for me, 
It evokes certainly very early Coen Brothers type style. It it also feels cut from the same cloth I was I was saying before about you know Brubaker Phillips stuff. I mean, is there anything that comes to mind straight away that was massively influential on the on the story for you? I think probably uh, Coen Brothers definitely and absolutely Brubaker and Phillips, but um, Martin McDonough's work, his kind of plays and films, and I suppose you know something like uh, In Bruges, definitely that kind of classic dark comedy and i suppose stuff like um kiss kiss bang bang shane black's Mm -hmm. film there's that that flavor of crime is definitely a huge thing that's influenced it yeah i mean i can definitely see that in the relationship between the two brothers the dialogue between them it's it's that almost that witty banter shane black-esque style i suppose where you know, just because it's a dark situation doesn't mean there can't be some levity there and some humor there. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the relationship between the two brothers is as much of that based on real life experiences or just completely fictional. Um, I mean, Jesus, I, I have two brothers and I argue with them all the time. But uh, <laughs> th- th- thankfully, I don't think we have as a contentious a relationship as uh, Arthur and Cosmo do. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, no, I mean, that that was... Thing actually, I was quite interested in doing on it was because a lot of with 2018, you end up doing quite short stories. You don't always get the opportunity to kind of dig into those deep relationships sometimes in a way that like a, a graphic novel length story would allow you to do. Yeah, I mean, there's great oppositions between them, and that's why it feels realistic to me. You know, I have an older brother myself, and you get the feeling in this book that the the brothers are just polar opposites. One's optimistic, one's cynical, one sees a way out, one thinks they're in this for life, that kind of thing. And and it's that heartbeat at the middle of the book that I think that's why it works so well for me. It's their relationship uh, is is key. Uh, And as well as their relationship, of course, as well. I I was curious why the setting of Texas, anything that drew you to there for, for setting this tale there? I think just the landscape was the biggest draw to be honest like would be uh i think that's just such a strong visual element that it it worked really well for the story was it a case of just saying to joe where do you want to draw backgrounds for yeah pretty much. <laughs> and we'll set it there yeah as few as few buildings as humanly possible <laughs> just loads of those big massive widescreen landscapes please um you know will maybe this is getting slightly ahead but you know will we see the characters again down the road you know i i say characters because i don't want to spoil who comes out the other side you know that you know this is not going to be a book where you know everybody comes out clean so i won't ruin anything of course but you know do you have other stories in mind for these characters at all um at the moment no i I see this as a very one and done story but i could definitely see us doing maybe other stories in a similar type of mold maybe mm-hmm. yeah certainly um, with the crime families in there perhaps there's you know mm. you can obviously leave the two main guys to the side but maybe there's other stories to tell within within those crime families i suppose maybe yeah or yeah or even to take a kind of fargo approach and do more of an anthology well also criminal does that quite a lot to be fair <laughs> Yeah, criminal just pops up everywhere. It's just so good and so influential. It's hard to get away from it sometimes. Yeah, yeah. How can those Living guys be shadow. so good? <laughs> um, <laughs> and their output is just phenomenal. Like, I mean, I don't know how Sean Phillips does that many pages. 
that quickly. Yeah, I mean that's that's someone else we were chatting to recently as well. We were chatting, and and in a way, Right and Blood reminds me a lot of these guys as well. We were chatting recently with Chris Condon and Jacob Phillips, who of course oh, yeah, yeah. are doing that Texas Blood through um, through Image Comics as well. So I was just curious what it was about Texas that was just drawing yeah. noir to Texas, you know? It was it was funny because I remember I think I saw I think that uh, that Texas Blood was announced quite quite a while back before um and i remember i saw it and saw that it was like texas crime and i was like fuck we're never gonna get picked up now like they've, they've got their texas crime book we're done but we just ended up having to take the chance anyway. and to be fair they're both you know they're, they're both in texas but in terms of the the tone and the themes i think they're both quite different books as well yeah i would i would wholeheartedly agree with that i mean i i think the humor is a big thing, I think, and that and that relationship is a big thing in uh, *Right and Blood*. Whereas in in that *Texas Blood*, it's it's a lot to do with guilt and you know mistakes of the past and and that sort of thing. So there's, I mean, I love both books, and uh, but I do think yeah they're very different, which is interesting, you know, as you say, noir in Texas, but two very different thematic books, you know, that came out of that. Yeah, I mean, the the, the guy's book, it's it's almost got this Lynchian. Mm-hmm. energy to it sometimes it's very kind of like this kind of sense of dread mm-hmm. kind of pervades it it's really interesting yeah i mean i suppose one of the reasons i asked about seeing the characters again at any point was i genuinely loved the ending you know there, there's a there's a sadness to it but a hopefulness mm-hmm. to it but a bittersweetness to it you know and, and it's not how i expected the book to end you know it left the reader with some interesting questions i thought you know i almost wondered because obviously you were you were kind enough to to send that advance copy through and it, in a weird way, and maybe I'm completely off track here, and you can tell me if I am, it reminded me a tiny bit of the end of The Sopranos, where it just ends. I wondered if there was another page that, you know, when you... Oh, that's interesting. Well, no, I, that, that, that was not the intention, but I'll, I'll certainly take that comparison. Like, <laughs> any, any, any comparison I can get to The Sopranos is good. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, ju- it's just because... It, maybe it was just a case of... I wasn't ready to leave those characters. You know what I mean? I wanted mm. I, I wanted more, which, of course, is the ultimate compliment to any story, I suppose. Um, you know, is there, obviously, outside of the monetary aspirations of it, but would there be any desire for any adaptation? You know, it, it felt very episodic to me, like it would play better if it was going to have an adaptation as maybe a limited series as opposed to a movie. Any any thoughts on that? That's interesting. Well, I mean, obviously, yeah, the money would be great. But... Uh... <laughs> Yeah, I think you probably have to rearrange a few elements. I, I think it could, yeah, as easy it possibly leans more, I would think, to a feature. But I think there's ways you could make it work as a limited series as well. Do you have any char- any actors in mind for those two main roles? Or was there anybody you drew influence from, I suppose? There isn't really offhand. I'm trying to think. Yeah, no, I, I, I don't... I know some people write with kind of actors in mind but i i don't usually oh is that not your style at all do you just think of them as sort of blank canvases almost i suppose yeah i, I kind of just wait to see like what well in, in, like what the artist usually throws up and then that becomes the the vision of them because I, I i yeah sometimes i worry if you give like kind of casting choices it kind of hamstrings the artist sometimes I suppose that's an interesting point just to the comic industry in general, I suppose, because you're obviously in charge of structure and story and dialogue, but maybe the artist is more in charge of the angles or, 
you know maybe the look of the characters i'm sure you you work very closely together on it but it's it is just it always it really always interests me how collaborative a medium comics is you know yeah i mean i i definitely would include like angles and stuff but i also include the caveat to any artist to if you see a better way to do it (laughs) absolutely disregard everything i've said like because I think, yeah, you do need to have that trust with your collaborators to bring out the best. And... So uh, what's next for you then? Any projects on the horizon? Well, there's a, a, a fair few dreads to come. And there's this series I started with PJ Holden last year called Department K, which is an all-ages sci-fi series that's in 2018. And there's also another image series that hasn't been announced so i have to be quite (laughs) careful that possibly involves all the people on the writing and blood team uh, that i'm co-writing that hopefully should be announced soon and then there's a few other pitches in development at the moment but that's uh, that's what i've got so far i'll certainly not press you for many more details on that image project you mentioned but would that be would or if you can say i suppose would that be in the more traditional single issue format or would that be another original graphic novel format uh no that's going to be a single issue monthly series are there any just uh you've been very generous with your time i'm just going to finish off with just a couple of bits and pieces here but away from that i mean are there any dream characters you'd like to write for in the world of comics you know anyone from the big two at all if they came knocking at your door and handed you a blank check um, I think, well, definitely the X-Men have always been a favourite. And I think what they're doing with that universe at the moment is incredibly, incredibly interesting. Like, I think it's been the most exciting it's been in quite a long time. Yeah, I mean, that. I suppose that leads on to my next question, which is what any comics or creators you're enjoying at the moment, you know, what, <laughs> what stands out for you? Obviously, Hickman and X-Men is a, is a big one. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, that whole line, it's just, it's great. I think I mean I might have mentioned Immortal Hulk earlier, but and then finally I would just always ask. Well, I have a I have a sneaking suspicion you may have already answered this, but I'm going to ask it anyway. What is your favorite comic of all time? If 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 I had a gun to my head, it would probably be Why the Last Man. See, this is how I knew we would get on well in a conversation because that's my personal favorite comic of all time. Really? Well. Yeah, it's uh, I'm an absolute sucker for it. I have all the single issues. I went back and tracked them all down. My my other half was generous enough to get me a number one first print and then i've got all the absolutes sitting there on the the shelves as well but christ i forgot about saga i love saga as well i know and, it's on hate at the moment yeah and that's my other half's her favorite personal comic of all time is saga so yeah. same thing we do have to wonder at this point is it ever going to come back you know bkv yeah. is really really keeping us on tender hooks yeah he's uh well it's good to know your your household is uh helping his bank account anyway so he has no excuse not to <laughs> very much so I, mean, I don't think there's ever been anything of his i haven't enjoyed but uh yeah. you know i even would i would even argue he wrote he co-wrote the best season of lost as well so uh when he moved on the tv stuff which which one was that four four yeah four yeah god i loved i loved so much about lost <laughs> so much of it was just daft <laughs> I think he just had to embrace that with Lost, though. I mean, it was. I, yeah. I, I'm a big fan of it, but I think he just had to no, embrace no, that I, daftness in places. At, at the time, like I loved what what I think was one of the best parts of it was that 
back when you know we, we watched TV shows weekly is that you'd have all this time to just ruminate on mm-hmm. what the hell was going to happen. Yeah. And invariably, you'd get to the next week and it would be something totally different. Like, Yeah, well, Lost was really interesting in that way simply because it would focus on a different character nearly each week so you could never guess what was going to happen. But yeah, I think you're right. I think we, we've slightly maybe lost that in the modern world now because everybody watches shows at their own pace or, you know, I we still haven't watched the Mandalorian season two and yet every single other person who comes to the store keeps telling me spoilers like crazy. So it, it, yeah, the spoiler thing is remarkable how fast it happens. Like, like I think it's sometimes within an hour of a show going up. It's out. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm a massive DC guy, but you know, there was one that DC did. I don't know if you, you watched any of the, the crisis and infinite earth crossovers they did for like arrow and flash and so forth. I didn't, but I, I I definitely saw a lot of it online at the time. Well, there was a there was a flash spoiler, shall we say, of you know another flash showing up. Yes, yes, I the, do know what you're on about there. The episode had ended. I kid you not, one minute in the states, it hadn't even aired this side of the world, but in the states, it had ended one minute, and on DC's official account, they showed a screen grab of it and said, "Wasn't that an amazing moment, guys?" <laughs> it's like the episode ended a minute ago in america yeah. uh that, I'm, I'm gonna jump on my old man pedestal here you know if i start going on no no I, I will pull a pedestal right up next to you i'm <laughs> on that train well that will we'll keep that uh for a follow-up podcast anyway so but uh yeah i just want to say many thanks again for for coming on uh you know i i reached out I, I saw that you had uh you were offering advanced copies for reader copies and so forth obviously it helps the comic industry is so strange sometimes as a store you have to get people excited about titles coming out and nine times out of ten it's titles that as a retailer you haven't read yourself but you're saying no no this is going to be good guys uh so it's always great to actually get an advanced read of something and then you can stand behind your recommendations and and then what we always push in our store is we always say don't follow titles follow creators so if you find a style of creator you like always keep an eye out for their next work so I think uh, I think you'll be hitting on to that list once this book comes out because we already have pre-orders in for it just based off the, the, the diamond listings and so forth. But uh, I'll be sure to get a few more people hyped for it as well. So just want to say thanks again for uh, coming on. Oh, no. Thanks for having me, Alan. Absolute pleasure. Don't miss out, guys. As I say, February 24th is going to be uh, hitting the shelves. Even if we're still in lockdown, we will still find a way to get it to you. Don't you worry. So uh, thanks again, and uh, I'll see you on the other side. Thank you.